Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Andy Rowe Show. As a prison governor, Vanessa Frank has seen it all. She spent 16 years as a governor in high-security female prisons, dealing with the likes of the infamous murderers Rosemary West and Myra Hindley. Then she moved on to the notorious London men's prison, HMP Wormwood Scrubs. You're going to hear stories of brutal violence, crafty drug smuggling, escape and ambushes. I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we start, a massive thank you to our sponsor this week, Sons, who helped make this show happen. You know how important it is to keep your immune system as strong as possible, particularly coming into the cold and flu season. The guys over at Sons are always looking out for ways to help you with your health, and they've done it again with their new Ultimate Immune Health Supplement. It's formulated from 11 powerful ingredients and includes all the key vitamins, minerals, and amino acids you need, like D, C, B, Zinc, but its special ingredient is the beta-glucan Wellmune, clinically proven in 12 scientific trials. One trial in marathon runners led to a 40% reduction in respiratory infections. Another study showed a 71% reduction in the number of individuals reporting cold and flu symptoms. So if you're already taking a multivitamin or are looking for something to strengthen your immune system this autumn, then check out suns.co.uk and use the code ANDY30 to get a massive 30 quid off your first order. It's the perfect supplement for fighting viruses as well as recovery from sport and weekend hangovers. And importantly, by using our code, you'll be supporting the podcast and the work we do. Vanessa, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. No worries. What possessed you? What made you want to become a prison officer <laughs> of all the things you could do? Honestly, it had never crossed my mind until, well, I was about 21, I think. And I used to I used to milk cows for a living, believe it or not. So did I. I came <laughs> off you? a dairy farm, yep, and I could not get out of it quick enough. So I, I get it. Well, I, I loved it. It's just that the, the money wasn't great and there, were, there was no real career pathway and I was never going to be in a position to own my own farm. So I kind of thought, what what else can I do? So I happened to come up to London one, one weekend and I got on the tube and there was a like a general kitchener your prison service needs you and, and you oh, too can yeah. make a difference. And I thought, I could do that job. And uh, I thought, oh, well, I'll see where this goes to. And here I am. Here you are. Your first day, because you start, you start at Holloway, which is a woman's mm-hmm. prison. I can't imagine it. Like your first day at work, you must have been terrified. No, I've never been terrified. People often ask me that. But I think if you're ever that scared, that that would put you off for life. I think you've got to sort of face your fears in life. That's how I looked at it. Apprehensive, maybe, but not terrified. If I'd ever thought I was going to be terrified, I'd have never done it. Can you remember that first day? 
Yeah. Talk me through yeah. it. Yeah, okay. So I was staying in a bed and breakfast just up from Holloway Prison. I'd had my breakfast. I hadn't had much because I was so, like, my stomach was churning with kind of, like, nerves. So you stay at school. Nerves, yeah, yeah, yeah. And got to the gate at the jail and there was this kind of, like, old prison officer there kind of, yeah, can I help you? Like, really sort of gruff voice. And I was like, mm-hmm, thanks for the welcome. And uh, I said, oh, it's my first day here. Right, take a seat over there. Somebody from training will come and get you. The training principal officer came along a bit later and picked up myself and eight other girls. We were all recruited for Holloway at that time. So she took us up to the training department, which was outside the prison. She had these kind of rows of um, neatly folded, like um, I always sort of say that they reminded me a bit of Hilda Ogden's overalls. They were nylon, dark blue, and you had to write your name, Nepo, which was new entrant prison officer, and then Vanessa Frake over the top of it and stick it like to your, your lapel and then swish around in this this overall that like sparked every so often. It was it was that kind of material. And then, of course, she said, well, I'll take you around the prison. So we were like, yeah, yeah. I'd never been in a prison before. Never only seen, you know, Googie Withers and within these walls at that time. You're probably a bit young for that, but hey. You've seen some prison movies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Off we went and uh, we came to like the wings where the prisoners were. And, you know, they see you. They see these nylon overalls. They see the NEPO. They know what it stands for. And then, of course, like women are just dreadful, you know, like catcalling and, oh, new screws, fresh meat, fresh fish. And that's kind of what it reminded me of, a bit of the the Shawshank Redemption, if you've ever seen that yeah, film. Yeah, film, yeah. And, uh, and, and you that, were the fresh fish. Yeah, yeah. So that that's – but, you know, I thought, well – I'm going to get this. You know, if I if I ever thought that, you know, name calling was going to worry me, I, I wouldn't have done it. But What uh, were some of the worst things that they shouted at you? Oh, fuck. Let me think. Um, I once got shouted. I, I don't know whether I can say you this can or say not. You can, can say I? it. You can absolutely say it. All right, it. People okay. want to hear it. All right. So I was in Marks and Spencer's, which was down the Holloway Road, doing some shopping. And I hear this over that entire Marks and Spencer's was, Frakey, you fat cunt. And I looked round and there was this prisoner stood there saying, Frakey, old dog, what are you doing in here? And I was like, hiya, Maureen. Uh, nice to see you. Nice to see you out. Just doing a bit of shopping. Oh, right. Okay. Well, enjoy yourself. I mean, she was she was okay. She what was, was she doing in Marks and Spencer's? She's probably shop, shoplifting, I should think, knowing Maureen. But uh, she was just... She was out of prison. She was, um, right. but she was an ex-prisoner. But inside, it's very similar to to that sort of thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. I mean, there's probably not a word that you could come up with that I haven't heard. To be to be honest, were women prisoners as violent as men? In a different way, men are much more. Um, well, let's go back the other way. Women are much more emotional per se, than men anyways. So quite often it builds up with women rather than with men. It tends to be a bit more spontaneous. You know, people used to say women were mad and not bad, but I have met some bad women. The one that sort of sticks out in my mind was really pretty much the first 
or second incident that I was in once I'd finished my training. I took two wing cleaners from C1, which was the, um, it was like a mental health unit, really. It was psychological issues that the prisoners had down there. And often prisoners who were in for child sex offences went down to, to C1 unit. So this day I'd taken two wing cleaners. One was um, Carrie Webber and uh, the other one whose name eludes me at this precise moment, but I'm sure you'll fill me in. Jane? Jane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jane. You didn't give the last name in the book. No, no, and Jane. Jane Jane was a a child molester. Well, she actually just assisted her her husband to molest her children, which to all intents and purposes I think was probably worse than the actual doing of the, the molestation, I suppose. But I think that's possibly because we look at women who are supposed to be carers and nurturers and and you kind of question how could somebody do that to their own children. But mm. anyways, Carrie Weber was um was a feisty woman. She almost pretended to be mad, but was actually bad. She was an arsonist. She liked to set fire, particularly set fire to like hostels and places that she was where there were people in it, in the hope that, you know, like one of them. Anyways, this this one charge she was up for, I think she was done for something like attempted murder times about 13, which, because it was a hostel and, and luckily nobody had died. But I mean, she was looking at a life sentence. So she'd assaulted staff, assaulted prisoners. She kind of thought, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, really. Mm. Anybody that I can particularly assault. We used to go in and search her on a daily basis because she used to make weapons out of just about anything. And this, anyways, this one day we were in the kitchen picking up the big silver trolleys with the, it was only like a sandwich in it and crisps and a bit of fruit. Within within an art, like the blink of an eye, just uh, Jane's face just kind of like opened up and it didn't it didn't kind of like spurt it just s- slowly started you could almost see like the the cheek muscle and then it kind of like just went blur what Carrie had done is got a toothbrush and melted the head of it and inside there she'd um, stuck two razor blades because you know we have to give them razors to shave it's- Usually what we used to do is you give one and they get one and you give it back, you know, but clearly she'd stashed it somehow or stolen it from somewhere else or whatever. And we'd missed it when we'd searched her. And um, when Jane came in to prison, we told her, look, don't talk about your offence. It's in your best interests not to mention what you're in for. And uh, unfortunately, she thought she'd told somebody in confidence and they went round and told everybody else what she was in for. She split her cheek open, but the, the, the point of the two razor blades is if you slice somebody with two blades, it's much more difficult to sew it back together. So, I mean, Jane would have been scarred for life after that. You know, there was uh, very little skin to actually sew back together. Some big names were in that prison while you were there. <laughs> Myra Henley. Yeah, she wasn't in Holloway. Where was she? She was at Cookham Wood when I was at Holloway. She had been at Holloway, but it was when it was the old Holloway. But you had a run-in with yeah, Myra Yeah, I did. I mean, so just to give people a bit of context, you don't know okay. who Myra Hindley is. 
Okay, Myra Hindley was uh, convicted of, I think it was three child murders or might have been more than that. I think two two bodies were never found, mm. one being um, Keith Bennett and... She was a, a celebrity serial killing... Well, the press kind of made her a yeah. celebrity. The media, I think, made yeah, her a yeah. celebrity. You know, she she was pretty much just like any other prisoner. But because of her name, because of who who she was, and of course, you, you, you instantly somebody says Myra Hindley, the first thing you think of is that sort of blonde bombshell with the staring eyes, you know, sort of... The, uh, the most evil woman yeah, in Britain yeah. was her tagline. yeah. It? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's several that are equally as e- evil, but yes, I agree. She was very evil. What was she like? Well, I only had a very brief encounter with her. Very brief. I mean, I went on escort from Holloway to Cook and Wood. We took some prisoners because once prisoners are convicted, they go out to a, a convicted prison. We took some prisoners to Cook and Wood. And when we arrived, there was this huge, great big, what I would call like prison warder. I hate the term warder. You know, the term warder went out in like the 1930s, but the particular tabloids particularly like to use it in a derogatory term when they refer to the prison service these days. But um, she was, I mean, she was a big big lady. And... um, We got there, got off the bus, got the prisoners off the bus, and um, she screamed out, Myra! And we were like, oh, what the? And uh, I had no idea who she was talking to, no idea who Myra was or anything. You know, call me a bit green maybe, but I'm interested in me, not in particular, particular prisoners, if that makes sense. Mm. So um, round the corner comes this sort of like, frumpy old woman who's basically missing a trolley cart full of bags because that's pretty much what she looked like. She had this sort of old sort of frumpy cardigan on with sort of like um, holes in the elbows and a few threads hanging out where she had been snagged here and there and um, it was kind of like greeny brown in colour. Her hair was sort of shortish, mousy brown. She had no makeup on. She just looked like any other person really. The officer said, make these, um, our guests, a cup of tea, Myra. And uh, so she went round everybody and said, uh, what would you like? What you knew who like? she was at this point or not? Still no, not. I still had no idea. I just thought she was like their trusted, like their tea lady, really, because you all have them, mm. tea boys, tea ladies, whatever. So uh, she came to me and she said, what can I get you, miss? And I said, uh, I'll have a cup of tea, two sugars, please. She said, uh, okay. And uh, off she went. And then when she'd gone, one of the officers who was stood next to me from Holloway also said to me, you know who that is, don't you? And I went, no, I have no idea. Who is she? Myra. And uh, they went, yeah, Myra. I'm like, okay, Myra. And they were like, Myra Hindley. (laughs) And I was like, fuck, Myra Hindley. Hang on a minute. Like, gather yourself back. She is just a prisoner. Stop with the, you know, thinking she's bigger than all that. She came back and uh, gave me my tea. I said, thanks very much. That was that. And uh, she said, can I get you anything else, miss? And I said, no, that's it, thanks. So she's quite nice. Well, she was, she was okay. I mean, she wasn't 
what I would call nice. You weren't nasty. She just she give you chills a little bit being around someone like that. Um, not really. No, Cause, no. I because I couldn't quite all when somebody t- says to you, Myra Hindley, like I said, you know, you think of the blonde bombshell with the evil mm. staring eyes and. You don't think of this sort of like little old bag lady who who, <laughs> who, who rocked up to make you a cup of tea, a bit yeah. like Mrs. Overall. Do you know what I mean? It, it just didn't. So I didn't feel anything like that. No. Is it true that didn't she have a relationship with Rosemary West? Yeah, wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall in that one? Don't know if I would have. Oh, <laughs> I tell you, that is some power. Power struggle going on yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, it didn't last very long, I hear. Did it not? Uh, what, yeah. what was the story behind it? I'm pretty sure that Rose was in Durham and Myra got transferred to Durham because there's only sort of like five or six female prison, prisons. And so Myra used to do, because she was such a manipulative personality. Myra Henley was. Oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, could, you could see that from her, that she had the... the I mean... You know, she got the number one governor to take her out to Regent's Park for an ice cream. I mean, come on. Shit. How manipulative can you can you actually be? I mean, that, that takes some doing. Especially given her past, like the governor mm-hmm. would have known exactly who she is. Yeah, and she, I mean, she, she had a, an affair with a prison officer. They were going to do this escape plan and the prison officer ended up getting about seven or eight years, I think, for it. This was... In the 70s, like long time yeah. ago, long time, you know, before you and I sort of were about. But yeah. Um, yeah, so, oh, yeah, she was very, very manipulative personality. Very. Wow. One of the two of them was at Durham and the other one got shipped to Durham. Yeah, they started this kind of little tryst and that of sort of a little tete-a-tete, but who knows how that one went. <laughs> I don't think it lasted very long. I mean, that... A couple that, of big personalities. Yeah, you could say. What was what was Rosemary West like? When people ask me that, I always kind of say, well, she was like your auntie. You know, she had these big sort of like, almost like um, Deirdre Barlow gl- bottleneck glasses that, right. you know, her eyesight was clearly bad. I mean, the glass was like about that thick. She always used to wear sort of shabby sort of jumpers and cardigans and, I don't know, her hair was sort of down to here and, she was very quiet. Rosemary used to keep everything inside. She never like um, showed any emotion really on any on any front. I mean, we had her at Holloway for about six to eight weeks when she was waiting for her trial to come up at Winchester. We kept her at Holloway down in the Seg where I worked. Segregation. Um, unit. Segregation unit. Yeah, where people are either down there on punishment or they're there for their own safety she was there for her own safety she was there for her own safety yeah 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 Yeah. or sometimes they're down there on good order and discipline i.e they're there because they're so naughty bad Mm. that you couldn't put them up on normal location yeah she made a friend when she was in there didn't she (laughs) oh yes yeah she did bless her colette yeah so we had like i said rose west six to eight weeks down the segregation unit and and because she wasn't there under punishment, she was there for her own protection, as was Coletta. She was um, a big kind of black yardie, we used to call them, with big sort of dreadlocks, friendly as anything. She was down there because she was part of a big Jamaican drugs gang and she turned Queen's evidence against the gang. So she was giving evidence in court against the gang and she'd had death threats. So she was there for her own safety right. as well. 
So because the pair of them were there for for their own protection, on a on an evening we used to get them out. And they could watch a bit of TV if they wanted, and Rose would sit there, and you'd hear the click, 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 click of her knitting because she was allowed her knitting when she was out on association, which was really what this was. The two of them used to sit there, chat, have a cup of tea. There was staff about. We had a TV in a in a room not too dissimilar to this size, and uh, they used to sit there and watch the news or watch, I don't know, Neighbours or whatever. So we used to get them out for an hour or two just to sort of break up the monotony for them. And uh, it it always makes it easier for staff to keep an eye on prisoners if they're out of their cells rather than in their cells. So um, anyways, they became quite pally and used to chat and Coletta knew Rose and Rose knew Coletta and I don't know what they discussed. I was never that close to them, but they seemed to get on relatively well. Anyways, the day came for Rose to go back to Winchester and the uh, transport came to the back of the seg. We loaded her up with staff and off she went to Winchester for uh, her trial. That evening, or it might have been about two days after actually, we got Coletta out again and myself and this officer were on duty and we were sat there with a cup of tea watching the news. And on the news, there's a lovely picture of Rose handcuffed to a prison officer from Winchester coming out of the court. This Coletta suddenly said, you know, oh, I can't believe that, you know, Rose West is is like, that's just unbelievable what she's done, blah, blah, blah. And me and this officer like looked at each other and said, what are you going into one for? She, well, what, what, in this kind of real thick Jamaican accent that I'm not going to insult her by trying to, trying to do, but she kind of, well, you know, like how she killed all those girls and it's dreadful and, oh, you know, what, what she shouldn't have had done to her, blah, blah, blah. So me and this officer kind of looked at each other and said, we're we talking about she was your best friend for the last six to eight weeks. You sat next to her having a cup of tea watching watching TV. She was like, and if she could have gone white, she'd have gone white. She looked absolutely beside herself, shocked. Miss, miss, you 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 you're not that's not true. That's not true. That was Rose, my friend Rose. And we'd be like, no, that was Rose West. <laughs> it's wow. like we were crying. Absolutely cry. I mean, she saw the funny side of it in the end, but it's like, you know, come on, dear, get a grip. It was like she had absolutely no idea. I know you're in a prison environment, but still, you're not expecting to be sitting next to Rosemary and be a friend for eight weeks. No. That would just, oh, no. Bless her. I mean, she she did see this funny side in in the end. Once mm. we'd calmed her down and and said, you know, what was the media like around Rose West? Because that was a massive, well, massive it's, it's, deal in the UK. It's not kind of Rose West. It's any kind of high profile prisoner. It's mm. very. It's it makes it very difficult the media for the prison because. Everybody is looking out for this prisoner to to do something or something to happen or like Fred West hung himself. Yeah. So what was she like when you, because you guys had to go and tell her that, didn't you? No emotion. That's Thank scary. you for telling me. That's scary. That's scary. That's fucking scary. That is scary. That's her husband. Yeah. 
But you see, she she was very another very manipulative woman because she I firmly believe that she thought that by Fred killing himself that he was taking the blame for everything, and once he'd done that, she would be walking out the gates. But of course, we all know that's not what yeah. happened. You know, she was found guilty by her peers and uh, judged as equal equally culpable. Horrible piece of work. You, then you moved to an all men's prison. Yeah, well, but you scrubs. were so you were. How long had you been prison a prison officer before you moved to the men's? Um, so I did sixteen years at Holloway. Okay, so then it's two thousand two. You, you yep. moved to HMP Wormwood Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. of a reputation that one. <laughs> you get you yes, get moved there. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean Wormwood Scrubs. I mean there is something about an old British Victorian prison. When you walk in, it's like the walls talk to you. The the first thing that hit me at Wormwood Scrubs was the smell. Because, of course, we were just just finishing slopping out then. So prisoners used to have to slop out in the morning. What's slopping out? Well, so slopping out is um, they're given a... Bu- there was no integral sanitation in the cells. There's no toilets. Yeah. Right. So they were given a bucket. When you unlocked them at half seven in the morning, they all sort of like did a line with their bucket in hand to the sluice room to r- rinse, out the, rinse out the buckets. And, uh, yeah, Jesus. the smell is... If you, if you go to work with a hangover and you stand there and it smelled out, Trust me, you're going to upchuck quicker than... I don't think I'd need that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds grim. Oh, it was very grim. Yeah, so, oh, God. So yeah. you're arriving, it stinks. What, yeah. are, the, what are the men yeah. like? So, I mean, no offence to men. I'm already offended. But, Whatever you, you got know, to say. they do have a, a, a particular odour. <laughs> Particularly those that don't wash a lot. You know. even, even the old one of us that do wash. We, exactly. You know, it only exactly. takes 12 hours. Um, you know, I listen, I loved working with the men. I much, much preferred working with the men, the Why? men staff and the men prisoners. Because I think you knew women are very bitchy. You, you know, you work with a load of women, you associate with a load of women. And, 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 and just by our nature, you know, we're gossips, we chat. We bitch about each other, but men don't. It's all very much. I'm I'm very much a direct person. What you see is what you get, and you'll always get the truth from me. Uh, you might not like it, but you know, mm. I would never lie to you. But it's like with with women, you know, they if you say to a bloke, no, you can't have that. He'll go, all right then, gov. You say that to a woman, she'll go, yeah, but why not? Mm. Well, what, what what why can't I have that? Well, who are you to tell me? Do you know what I mean? It's 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 much more kind of men are straightforward, a little bit more basic yeah. operators. Yeah, we? yeah. Some of the men did hold grudges against you. At oh, some absolutely! Time. Didn't one of them throw something over the top of you? <laughs> yeah, Potty. remind you of the dairy farming a little. <laughs> I think I'd rather I preferred cows to be honest, but um, what happened there? This particular prisoner was wasn't a very nice prisoner per se. He was very anti women, anti women in authority, anti women in general. Just, just a, for want of a better word, a right prick. And um, <laughs> he pushed it and pushed it, and then he started to make sexual comments towards staff. There is a like a behavioural scheme in the prison service and it's um you know the better you behave the more rewards you get so so your tv is a is a privilege your playstation is a privilege out on association is a privilege so if you 
are badly behaved, those privileges can be taken away and you're put on what's called basic. Most prisons are standard, then you've got your enhanced and your basics. Some prisons have super enhanced for those that are really, really trusted. So he was a standard prisoner anyway, so I decided to put him on basic. Now, there's, there is procedures. It's not just like my word. It's like forms to fill. You have a meeting with him. You, you talk to him about his behavior and that it's not acceptable. And until it changes, you know, he's going to be behind his door. He'll be allowed out for exercise. His association will be limited. We're going to take his TV off him. He won't be having like extra visits, which are sort of a privilege. Mm. Uh, anything like that because you've got to have a kind of carrot and stick otherwise you just have like mayhem so anyways I'd had this run in with him I'd put him on basic and uh, another prisoner that day had warned me about this particular prisoner that um, I just needed to watch my back what can you say about that I was always watching my back so if you if you go in sort of like looking behind you all the time you're you're going to end up walking backwards because you just it's you're not going to be able to do your job properly. So I, I kind of said, well, thanks very much. I'll keep a lookout. Anyways, that evening I was on duty and an alarm bell rang on the fours, which is a very loud, almost like a fire alarm, audible bell, which somebody's clearly pressed as a diversion. And as I've come out of the office and run down the landing, I felt this stuff all over me. And first of all, it hit me, it was wet. And then the smell kind of hit me. Prisoners call it potting. And basically they pee in a bottle for a couple of days and then put feces in it, shake it all up, leave it for another couple of days and then throw it at who whoever deserves it. When that happens, you know, I kind of thought, well, this can either go two ways. I can stand here and burst into tears and stamp my feet or I can just get on with it. And, um, you know, other staff came along and somebody took me to to the storeroom to get a fresh uniform. And then I went and had a shower and then I went back on the wing. And then I had him taken to the segregation unit. And then I had him shipped out up north somewhere. <laughs> oh, so you shipped him to a different prison. So yes, family absolutely. couldn't see him and all yeah, sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There were other prisoners in there that were a bit of a handful as well. Kate Moss's boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, boyfriend at the time, Pete Doherty. Yes, yes, or Doherty. Or Doherty. I yeah. don't even know, I don't care. But that guy, what was he like? <laughs> you know, when he came in, he was clearly had a problem with drugs. That's A, why he was sentenced because um, he'd breached his probation order or, or one court order or something. And um, he'd come into jail to do, I don't know, 12 weeks or whatever it was. Now, in 12 weeks, I mean, you're not going to do much with somebody, but we took a decision, not just me, I was security at the time, but also healthcare and uh, the wing governor as well, to put him on the detox unit because he clearly had issues um, with drugs. So out of that 12 weeks, he might have done six. So it it wasn't that long to behave yourself, really. But he kind of looked at himself as I, I actually had no idea who he was. Never heard of Libertines or whatever. Baby Sham, Baby Bottle, Baby Shambles. The only reason I knew who he was is because he's in the news yeah. for going to prison because he had a drug problem. Yeah. And he was Kate Moss's boyfriend. Yeah. But I, he is still big, his big name for, the, yes. for that reason as well. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he, he, he was just like, you know, 
on the front page of every woman's magazine, yes. tabloid magazine. Yeah. He was, yeah. Um, so he, he was a pain in the ass, to be honest. He used his celebrity status in the jail. I mean, out, outside all the cells were cell cards and it, it was for fire regulation. So you had their name, their number on it. And if they were like a special diet or whatever, but he, keep, he used to keep taking them off and autographing them and giving them to the rest of the prisoners. Fair enough. <laughs> but um, so it was that. And then he was always kind of like last to bang up. He always had like 101 problems that he wanted solving yesterday. And, you know, there were, I think, 54 other prisoners on that landing, not just mm. Mr. Pete Doherty. So he was a pain in the ass. Anyways, I walked into security one morning about seven, half seven. And uh, on, on one of the desks was the sun. And splashed all over the front page of the sun was this beautiful picture of Pete Doherty smoking cannabis in his cell, taken by another prisoner on an illicit mobile phone, which had been sent to the Sun newspaper. Oh, yeah. So you can see, like, you know, that's your fault, isn't it? Well, well, man. yeah. I mean, and that's that's the thing with the the media's relationship with the prison service. You know, they're very very quick to call out the bad. You know, mobile phones are an absolute problem in prisons. There's no ifs, no buts. Yeah. But I was I was really cross that, you know, this had come out in the sun after the, the work of the detox staff who were very committed to, to prisoners with drug issues and he kind of like almost like made a made a mockery out of it all. And uh, so I was I was cross with with him at that time. And then um, I kind of felt that he clearly wasn't going to gain any benefit from being on the detox unit. And so we moved him to the SEG. You mentioned phones being such a big problem. Yeah. Why are mobile phones such a big problem? Okay. I mean, mobile phones are linked to drugs and we know the effects drugs have on prisoners, but um, also like... Mobile phones, we've had that where they've been used to contact victims. They've been used to contact families of other prisoners to put pressure on them to bring drugs in. We've had them used in illicit affairs between prison staff and prisoners. You know, they, they're just a big, big problem in mm. prisons. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, technology gallops at this fantastic, like, pace but the prison service is always playing catch up to it. So I made it my business that, you know, I'd try all this sort of technology I possibly could to sort of like do trials with it, like mobile phone detectors and the boss chair, which is the body orifice security scanner and all these these sort of innovative things that used to come in. I used to put my hand up and say, well, Wormwood Scrubs will try them. There was a guy called Patrick. Yes. Tell me the incident about him and the mobile phone. We had a body... Let me explain the body orifice scanner first. Sounds invasive. It's not invasive. It's anything but. If you If you imagine what an electric chair looks like, that's what a body orifice security scanner looks like. Right. We when we first trialed it, we had to tr really persuade prisoners that it wasn't an electric chair. And um, you know, I've sat in it myself because just to prove to them that it, you know, it would do you no harm. But basically what it is is it can tell if you've got anything metal concealed internally. So we used to get them to sit on it. It would beep rather 
frantically if you'd had a mobile phone right. up your bum or not if you didn't or in your pocket or in your pocket but we'd have searched him first <laughs> right so and if we still if we still like gone over him with a metal detector and it still goes off then he sits on the boss and the boss will tell you whether he's got it or not oh god so we'd sat this guy on on the on the bus the alarm went off uh, we asked him to remove the phone because I hasten to add, we do not do internal searches and nor would we want to. So we, we said, we know you've got a mobile phone up there. Would you like to give it over? No, I wouldn't. Okay. You're no, I wouldn't. Or I don't have a phone up. He can't say that he hasn't because we okay. know he has. Okay. So he's still saying that. No, yeah. You're not having it. Yeah. So, so fine. Okay. Well, you're staying down the seg until you decide. To, to give up the mobile phone or you sit on the bus and it doesn't go off. Anyways, this went on for a couple of days. Every morning and every night I used to get the staff to put him on the bus chair and every time the, the bus went off. Anyways, about the third or fourth day, I got a phone call from one of the staff on the SEG saying that um, Patrick wanted to give the mobile phone up. And I was like, great, job done. No, Gov, it's not quite as simple as that. He can't get it out. And I was like, what do you mean he can't get it out? Well, it's been up there so long, Gov, it's it's stuck. I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> so I was like, uh, right, well, can you get hold of the medics, get a nurse down there and a doctor and see see what they say? So anyways, the nurse and the doctor went to see him and then I got another phone call saying, well, the nurse and the doctor says he's got to go to hospital and have it surgically removed. They can't, they can't get, get it either. So that's what we had to do. We had to send this guy out to Hammersmith Hospital so that he could have this mobile phone surgically removed. Wow. Because he'd put it a bit too far up. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, no. Did it make your eyes water, Andy? Yeah, that's not Bloody nice, well did mine, I tell you. Yeah. So somebody could... You couldn't could... just put it on speakerphone and use it that way? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Getting drugs in as well was a, a, a big thing. Like there's some, some I spent the, my life trying to stop drugs coming into prison in some, one form or another. Some of the ways that they got it in is just like you've got to give them credit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, we're talking about the dead pigeon. Oh, oh, we can talk about the dead pigeon. Well, there's the, a few different things we'll, well talk there's, about. There's, Let's start there, with the dead pigeon. There's several. The thing with drugs is, you know, I always looked at it almost as a game. We win two, they win one, you know? So, like, you, you shut one door and another one opens before you've had time to right. lock it. We used to get probably, I'd say, 40, maybe 50 parcels just thrown over the wall every day. Every day? Every day. But out of that 40 or 50, we, only, we used to collect maybe 30. So, so 20 parcels of drugs, mobiles, bottles of booze, you name it, anything illicit was coming over the wall. 
And uh, this went on and our mandatory drug rate, because all, all prisoners have to be mandatory drug tested or did then. So you get a, a, a reading. So a, a good reading is about 5% of your population is, on, is using drugs or has used drugs. A bad thing is 30%. And I think Wilmwood Scrubs was nearly 40% at that time because of the amount of parcels. So I, I, I came up with this brainwave. Well, I thought it was a brainwave. And to have the, the whole prison netted, put bird netting all over the jail. Oh, my prisoners would not have liked that. No, they didn't. They would not have liked you. No, they didn't. But I weren't paid to be liked, so that, that particularly <laughs> didn't bother me. But um, I won a bid, uh, long story short, with head office. So we had scrubs netted. Um, to stop the parcels coming in. And then they tried to set fire to the netting, lean out the windows and set fire, but it was fire retardant. So oh, it kind of just melted into a bit of a globule. Smart. Then the, the, the mandatory drug rate dropped from, like I say, nearly 40% down to about 5%. So it had an absolute impact. But right. then, like I, I had all the staff in the jail together and uh, had a chat with them about, you know, this will put more pressure on you from prisoners to bring stuff in. And of course it did. And we were then like spending a lot of time looking, looking at particular staff, prison staff, who were unfortunately crossing that line. Yeah, we'll get into that because there's one particular story that I want to touch on with that. Tell me about the pigeon that you oh, touched the pigeon, on before. The pigeon. Every morning I used to like to walk around the perimeter and I used to take one of my officers with me just to have a chat and a, a smoke and a see what was what around the jail. This one morning, this, this thud, and I looked down at my feet and there was this like, dead pigeon laying there with its like feet up like this, but a very neat sewn up sort of middle chest bit it just been to the vet yeah well clearly it didn't do very well at the vet <laughs> i hasten to say so um anyways he i looked at the officer and uh, he looked at me and, and he said you're not going to pick that up are you gov and i went no guess who it is though <laughs> got back to the security and uh, simon opened it up and uh, inside was packed with drugs and a mobile phone i think little parcels about so big of um I think it was heroin, actually. Oh, pigeon carrier. Mm. Carrier pigeon? Yeah, carrier pigeon. There we go. Yeah. So it gives a new meaning to the it word does, carrier doesn't it? pigeon. The one that I liked best in your book was about the fishing line. Oh, the fishing line, yeah. At one time on um, D-Wing, before the netting, the drugs, you always you can feel almost the, the feel of a wing if you walk onto it and... You know, you can you can tell what the atmosphere is like. You know, prisoners kind of disappearing when you're walking along or sort of murmurings around the wing as you walk past. And obviously the 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 waft of cannabis as goes past your office is always a, a telltale sign. Yeah. Uh, that you've got quite a few drugs on the wing. But we we, we weren't partic particularly sure how they were getting onto the wing. We just knew... Um, that we had a, a drugs problem on the wing. Anyways, this day I was at work and um, I was on the the ones, which is the the bottom landing, and uh, I got a phone call from an officer uh, called Steve, who bless him is is passed away now, but I remember him with great fondness. He phoned me up and he said, uh, "Gov, you better come up here. I've got something to show you." And kind of when you get that call, you don't really sort of say, oh, "Yeah, but what? I'm busy" or something. You just 
put the phone down and say, yeah, okay, and off you go. So I went up. He was on the fours, which was the fours landing. And uh, so I went up the stairs, and uh, he was waiting outside this cell and uh, went in with him. And uh, I said, what is it, Steve? And he says, uh, well, have a look. See if you can find it, Gov. Anyways, I had a look round. It was a very neat cell. Everything was in its place. Bed was nicely made, blah, blah. Couldn't see anything. I said, oh, give up, Steve. Go on. What, what am I looking for? And he said, look out the window. And I looked out the window, still couldn't see anything. I can't, I can't see what, what it is, Steve. So he says, watch this, Gov. So he, he kind of got his, his finger and, and touched what only caught the sun and glistened briefly was a bit of fishing wire. And as he pulled it, it caught the, the sun and you could see, and this fishing wire went from this cell right up to the roof of Hammersmith Hospital. Over the wall. Over the wall, over the 12-foot wall and right up to the roof, which we later found out was only a door and it wasn't locked or anything and public could have gone up there if they'd have wanted so somebody, together with this prisoner in this cell, had had managed to hook this kind of line between the two. So I can just imagine, you know, at night, this little sort of whirring sound as, as the drugs are going down on the zip wire straight into the top cell on D-Wing. I was like, wow, I mean, that is ingenious. I mean, that Keep is- the drugs, I'm impressed. Yeah, I mean, you know... 10 out of 10 forever. <laughs> did you ever have members of staff that, I mean, you touched on it, I suppose you did, have members of staff that help prisoners get contraband in, like mobile phones and drugs and things? Of course, yeah. I mean, you know, any any job you're going to have bad eggs. And it's it's very difficult for staff who see that because it's almost like a betrayal of of your colleagues, isn't it? You know, and I always think like, you know, when push comes to shove, you you rely on your colleagues to back you up. But if somebody is having an illicit affair or a relationship or, you know, running drugs for a prisoner, are they really going to have your back? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I had issues with staff corruption and um, we tried to to root out where we could and the best well i say the best one it's not really the best Best example the the best example yeah would be a better way of phrasing it thanks we had this uh member of staff who patricia Oliveira. Oliveira, yes who who actually tried to fox the drugs dogs by bringing drugs in in a kfc bucket (laughs) so we knew we knew patricia was up to bad yeah you are you You'd worked her out though. She was on surveillance when that happened. Do you want to yeah. talk me through that? Okay, the so so what had happened was we had a, a bloke, a prisoner, down the seg and he'd been found in possession of a mobile phone. So we sent his mobile phone off to the anti corruption unit at head office. And what they do is they download basically all the data on, on, on his mobile phone. You know, your your mobile phone is your biggest footprint. And it'll, it'll tell you where, who, what, and when. And um, so um, out of that information was Patricia Oliveira's telephone number because we ran it against the staff database. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. So obviously there was a connection. Now, she had been phoning, I think, 
he phoned her something like 180 times and she phoned him 60-odd times. And, you know, the, it, there was clearly um, an, a sexual relationship between the two of them. But there was also a suggestion of uh, her bringing drugs into the into the jail. Did you get to read all the text messages? I would have loved that. Uh, <laughs> um, I actually read the printout, yeah. you know What sort of stuff was it? Oh, like um, he'd send her a picture of his erect penis she was telling what she wanted to do with him and it's very sort of sexual things like that so basically we did an operation with uh the police we have a police liaison who comes into the jail to help us with police matters the police uh were actually survey had put her under surveillance literally for like about two weeks i think she was under surveillance for they were sure that she'd met somebody this this particular evening and picked up a package. And they were sure that that package was drugs. So they'd let me know. And then the following day, I'd, I'd arranged for a staff search, which, you know, you do staff searches there on an ad hoc basis. You're supposed to do, I think it was at that time, so something around 10% a month or something like that. So it was nothing out of the ordinary for staff to be searched. But this particular time, we were convinced. Well, she was she was in in the morning, but nothing. There was we'd done a staff search in the morning. There was nothing. Then in the afternoon, she'd gone out again, down to the local KFC or chicken shop, whatever it was and come back with a bucket load of chicken and we'd arranged for another staff search again at that lunchtime and that was when the drug dog sat on her straight away sat we said she had nothing on her i mean we as i said we can only do i mean we could have strip searched her but there was no particular requirement to but we wanted to search her car um, and of course, we've got cameras in the car park, and um, staff went out with the drugs dog to another drugs dog to search her car, and they found cannabis and I think it was cocaine. She was um, then brought back into the prison, and we believe that somewhere in between the two, she had put the heroin, there was a bit of heroin, into the KFC bucket because mm. she was kind of like gripping onto this KFC. And then she was sat in an office waiting because we were going to, we'd called the police. Uh, you found drugs on in somebody's car out mm. on prison property, obviously. So we'd, we'd bought, bought her in. She was desperate to go to the toilet. I said, no. She came up with, oh, I'm on my period. I said, so what? You're still not going till the police get here. Then it was it was once the police had got here, the police said read her rights, basically said to her, if you don't tell us or give us the drugs that you've got on you, which we know you have, we'll take you back to the police station and internally search you. Well, that was enough for Patricia. Boom! Out came this out of this KFC a, a packet of whatever it was. I think it was heroin. They said the police said to me, right, we'll take her now. Do you want us to handcuff her? Or do you want us to walk her out? I said, no, handcuff her. Let staff see that this is this is what happens when you when you cross the line, and that's what they did. And uh, she got seven years behind bars for it. Really? Yeah. And I was she... in court to see it. Snaresbrook, I think Snaresbrook, I think. Yeah. 
once people got it in as well, like it wasn't just about getting it through the security, but once you actually had it in, there was a thing called spooning. Ah, spooning. So spooning is when a prisoner hides something internally and another prisoner or prisoners... I mean, it sounds romantic. Yeah, it's not. It's nasty. Tries and gets it out. He's held down and they get a spoon and try and spoon it out. That's what spooning is. Oh, wow. Let's move on from the drugs okay, thing. Okay, okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do something more, more exciting. Okay. Escapes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with old Faulkner. Yes, Faulkner. I mean, this was, this was dreadful and, you know, it affected the staff so badly. We had a prisoner who, one lunchtime, the, um, my orderly officer said to me, we've got a prisoner who's writhing around in agony. He's seen the doctor and the doctor says he needs to go to hospital. I, I asked the security office if we could um, just look at background of this prisoner, see who he is, do we know anything about him? And lo and behold, um, his intelligence said, may try and escape from hospital. So obviously, you know, you're like, so I rang the doctor and said, look, we think, you know, this is a whole scam. And the doctor was adamant that he had to go to hospital because I suppose he was looking at it. Well, if he turned around and died and the doctor Mm. said he didn't have to go to hospital. And then the doctor turned around and said to me, actually, I phoned the ambulance, which is not his job, was was, uh, my control room's job. But he did. So the ambulance rocked up. Even the ambulance guys said they thought he was faking. Clearly, he was going to go to Hammersmith next door. So um, I got security to phone Hammersmith police, ask them if they could attend because we were worried about this prisoner. Um, They were too busy, but they said they'd send a patrol car to go past. And uh, then we rang the hospital security and they said they'd send somebody down to A&E. What happened was this prisoner did go to Hammersmith Hospital, much against everybody's wishes. We sent three staff. We usually only send two. We sent three. Um, He was handcuffed. um, To one of the prison officers. To one of the officers, yeah. When they got to Hammersmith, as the ambulance pulled up, it was rammed from behind by a car. I think it was two or three hooded guys got out brandishing guns, told the staff to open the door, which they did, the ambulance woman, told the officer who had the keys, which is not the one who's handcuffed to him, to unlock the handcuffs, otherwise he was going to be shot and and everybody would be shot, which he did, which was absolutely the right thing to do. And um, off Faulkner went quite willingly with these guys. Um, And he made good his escape. I got a phone call about 10 minutes, literally after this guy had gone to the hospital, um, saying that he'd escaped. And myself and my boss legged it, literally two minutes around the corner to Hammersmith Hospital. Got there, the staff were in a dreadful state, the ambulance staff were in a dreadful state, the security staff were in a dreadful state. It was just awful. Didn't you have three people try and escape at once at Holloway? At Holloway. (laughs) Yeah, so again, I was on duty in the control room. Um, It was a Sunday and I was a 12-hour shift and I'd been out the night before. One of those times where, you know, 
you go to the club, you come back late mm. and uh, you literally walk in, get in the shower, change your uniform and walk back into work. And uh, kind of, it was a bit like that. So I thought, oh, well, it's a Sunday, 12-hour shift. I'm in, I'm in the control room, relatively quiet day, you know, no problem. I was young then. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, f in Sunday afternoon, all the jet, the whole jail was out on exercise. It was a lovely day and we had various exercise yards around the jail. And uh, like I said, it was a lovely day. The women were out and I got this phone call from the pub across the road, the Holloway Castle, saying, from this bloke, saying that he'd just seen three prisoners jumping over off the wall. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, how many Guinnesses has he had? Thanks very much, sir. Um, we'll look into it. And I mean, we were always getting crank calls anyways. When um, Deirdre Barlow was in prison, we used to get calls. Coronation saying, Street. Yeah, from Coronation Street saying, um, free, free Deirdre. And it's not right that you're keeping her like locked up. And, you know, yeah, these people got nothing better to do and think that soaps are real. And, that's but, I, I enjoy that. That's, yeah. that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. But so, you know, I, you kind of took it with a pinch of salt. Anyways, by that time, it was the end of exercise anyway. So we were getting all the prisoners back inside. So I'd called for them to all have um, a count up and a, a total lockdown so we could count up everybody and just check. And I also briefed the, the duty governor and said, you know, we've had this call, but but we're just checking. So anyways, it came back that three prisoners were missing, Melanie Myers being one who was our e-list prisoner, who was actually on the escape list. <laughs> oh, no. So you should have been keeping an eye on her. Yeah. Oh. Which, you know, you think, why? Anybody but her. And basically what they'd done is they'd gone through, broken a window through the swimming pool. Yes, Holloway had a swimming pool. Yeah, hang on. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Holloway did have a swimming pool. Um, and... Um, and a bar and... No, didn't know, have a bar. It had a hair bar, though. Did have a hair bar. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Got up into the roof space, got out onto the roof somehow. Very well planned. And at that time, the wall, the perimeter wall, didn't have any barbed wire on it because the council said it wasn't aesthetic to the neighbourhood. So... I mean, they've got a point. Yeah. I mean, razor wire isn't the best looking thing, really, is it? But <laughs> hey... Um, it would have stopped those three, but anyways, it didn't. So they literally just jumped down the other side. It, um, I think Melanie was at large for about three weeks, I think. She, um, she actually rocked up at a hospital because she injured her back as she jumped down. And uh, so she rocked up at a hospital to get treatment and they reported her and uh, they got her back. That's a bloody tough job. And as you say in your book, like it's a good insight into the, the good work that goes on and behind the scenes as well. But you did get recognised for it. Tell me about the letter you got. Uh, <laughs> the MBE. Yeah. I mean, I... I I got home one 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 day um, in November, and uh, there was this really official white-looking envelope with no stamp on it and uh, Ten Downing Street on it, and uh, I was like, what "The Prime is Minister's this? house." Yeah, yeah, what is this? Anyways, I opened it up, and it was this very, very incredibly formal letter, basically saying that I was invited um, by the Prime Minister on behalf of the Queen to be given an MBE. And uh, I mean, I read this letter about six times before I actually even 
it, it clicked that it was me. I thought, it, well, this can't be me. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'd only heard about people who'd, who'd got, you know, honours from the, from the Queen. And um, so, yeah, I was awarded the MBE in uh, 2011 in her New Year's honours list. Um, I, was, I was quite, um, I suppose, humbled by it, really. You know, I was very lucky. I worked with some really good people. Um, and I had to thank them as well. Mm. It wasn't, it, to me, it wasn't just for me. It was for the people I worked with as well. How was it meeting the Queen? Um, we, we, we walked in, met my mum and dad there, up the stairs. They all went to the left. I went to the right into the green room, which was like the size of a football pitch. Met Ronnie Corbett and Lee Westwoods. And a few others that were there at that time. Dropping names. Yeah, yeah, just drop them in there. And um, they teach you how to curtsy in this room. So Oh, so they take you through a training thing? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they take you through, there's a big, like, uh, TV video of of previous ones so you can see. Your name is called, you're standing at the shoulder of the air commandant or something who's, who's waiting in the wings. You stand at his shoulder um, when your name's called, you walk uh, 10 paces forward, you turn, you curtsy or bow for gentlemen, walk two steps forward, hold out your hand, she shakes your hand, you walk two steps back. When she's finished um, shaking your hand, that's your cue to leave. So you walk two steps back, you curtsy again and you go off to your right. Call her your majesty the first time. So you say, thank you, your majesty. Um, yes, ma'am. So you only call her Your Majesty the once. Right. Okay. I think I called it her twice, actually. Oh, oh, my, well, my brain would have just been going for oh, it. I tell you, I tell you yeah. they said it would last 58 minutes and it lasted 58 minutes. Really? Yeah. It went like clockwork. So when you were, did you speak to her? What were you told? Yes, what yeah, you yeah. She, she asked is, it true, is it true you can't ask, quest, ask her a question? You get told that. I can't remember. No, she does the asking, really. Yeah. She, because she, she, but she knows everything about everyone. She was surround. She had a Gurkha either side of her. You know, she. They weren't getting. They would have laid down their their lives for her. You could yeah. see that. What did she say to you? She said to me. Um, she said, "I believe you've been in the prison service a long time." And I said, "Yes, Your Majesty." And she said, "You must have seen an awful lot of changes." And I went. <laughs> I said to her. Probably as many as you have, but possibly not quite as many as you have, Your Majesty. And see, I said Your Majesty twice. Yeah, and then and that's and it. then and then she lets go of your hand because you're like you're holding. Oh, hand. so you're holding your hand when you're having the yeah. conversation. But like she, I thought she'd have gloves on. She didn't even have gloves on. I she touched to you with my... her bare hands. Yeah, she, I didn't want to wash my hand. I tell you, I wouldn't have. No, no, no. gosh, she, I think she's amazing. Yeah, I absolutely f- think she's amazing. What made you get out of the prison service? Because you had this, you had the prime minister come and visit your yeah. your thing, and like that was just a big political thing. Come and visit Wormwood Scrubs and see what see the great work you're doing, getting the press involved, and then they start cutting funding and things yeah. like that. Was that was that the reason why you just time time to well, leave? Well, look, I I I'd kind of well, I felt that I'd contributed to Wormwood Scrubs being an outstanding jail, and I felt that. With the changes that were coming, I didn't want to see it go down the pan. I wanted, selfishly, I suppose, selfishly, I wanted to see it 
in the good light and mm. I didn't want to see see it sort of fall by the wayside. So, yeah, I'd say that was the main reason. Also, you know, our daughter spent more time in childcare than than anything. You know, she was the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave. She always helped clear up at night. I I, I just kind of felt when you do a job like that, that's so stressful, you're almost like a sponge and you reach saturation point. And I felt I'd kind of reached saturation point with it. And I wanted to spend some time with my family mm-hmm. and, and do other things. It's that here now. Fair know? enough. Well, it's an amazing book. Vanessa, thank you thank so you. much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Andy. Really enjoyed it. And thank you very much for listening. Vanessa's book, The Governor, is out now. It's full, as you could probably tell from this podcast, of crazy stories and gives a graphic insight into the work that goes in to keeping our prisons safe. Please do give this interview a review if you have a moment, and we'll be back again next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.